Hello and welcome to episode 130 of Cho Squared. I'm your host, Andrew Chelney, and a great conversation heading your way today. Been sick last few days, so if I sound a little nasally, that's why, but the show must go on. At Cho Squared and at Chelney Andrew, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew on Twitter, at Cho Squared on Facebook, give the show that shiny and illustrious five-star review on our podcast. The more reviews, the more likely the show is going to get recommended by the mysterious algorithm that nobody understands. It's very important. New episode every single Tuesday. Subscribe now for the best hockey podcast in town. Show Squared is a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and though I am a full-time associate producer at SiriusXM NBA Radio, this podcast is not affiliated with the company in any way. The opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and mine alone and may or may not reflect the views of SiriusXM. Joining Show Squared today is a great guest. You listen to him as one of the hosts on Hockey Royalty Podcast and read him over on Hockey Royalty. It is the great Russell Morgan. Russell, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on here. And let's talk macro here, Russ. The LA Kings, to the surprise of virtually everybody in the NHL, are second in the Pacific Division. 38, 24, and 10 with 86 points. They're actually five behind Calgary for the top spot in the Pacific Division. You've watched a ton of LA hockey Tell me how the Kings got here. That's the biggest question, really. <laughs> With all the ups and downs throughout the season, uh, injuries, uh, new players coming in in the offseason, it's been really a, a roller coaster ride for hockey out here in L.A. Um, but this team has shown a lot of resiliency, and um, a lot of the fans are starting to get behind the team. And they're showing a, a really good, a, real, a lot of passion in terms of playing the game the right way. And it's been fun to watch out here in, in Southern California. Talk to me about Jonathan Quick, because it looked to me prior to this season that he was falling off a cliff. He didn't look good prior to this season coming on. Last couple of seasons, just didn't play all that great. And then he turns around and is looking a lot like the Jonathan Quick of old. His analytics aren't amazing, but definitely better than they have been in the past. What have you seen from him? And talk to me about the 1B goalie in Cal Peterson as well. Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, there there. That was probably one of the big question marks in terms of who was really going to take the the starter's net, I guess you could say. Um, after last season, Jonathan Quick, like you just talked about, he was really it was really more of a down year for him. Uh, and with with the age he's at now, it's it's you were kind of just thinking like, okay, now is this kind of getting to the sunset of his career? Is he just kind of just kind of get a couple games here and there and just be the just kind of fly off into the sunset, but. I mean, at the start of this season, he just was lighting it up. He was on fire. And um, for the first couple months, he was really one of the top three or top five goalies in goal saves above as expected. And there was a lot of talk. I mean, Cal Peterson was really having a down year. So Cal Peterson, at the end of the offseason, he was given a three-year contract, $5 million per year. So he was really expected to be a, take that number one role. But that never really came to fruition. So with the way that quickie was playing the first couple of months you were kind of thinking like man maybe if jonathan quick can really keep his game elevated to the point he is now maybe he just gives cal peterson a little bit more time to get acclimated to the starters net but uh i would say maybe around 2022 the start right at the turn of the year 
uh, Cal Peterson, I believe he was on uh, COVID protocol and was missed a couple games. He was out for maybe a little over a week or so. And once he came back, he actually came back with a force. And I remember there was a quote that Todd McClellan had mentioned that um, it was something about along the lines, like just like Jonathan Quick's not to give up the keys to the throne, to the castle, Cal Peterson's going to fight to get them back. So we're starting to see that fight from Cal Peterson um, the last couple of weeks or so. But I mean, lately it's been almost like a split 50, 50 split. There has been games where it's been two games for Jonathan quick and then two games for Cal Peterson. And that was kind of off and on until just last yesterday's game or last night's game against Calgary. That was the first time Cal Peterson has started three games in a row. Um, so with the way, how frustrating it was from a Kings fan point of view, how that game went, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jonathan quick um, get the next start for a big game against Edmonton on Thursday. Um, but yeah, it'll be something to watch, especially as the team gets closer to the playoffs. Well, Jonathan Quick is 36 and has another year on his deal after this one. Cal Peterson, like you mentioned, signed to a three-year 15 milli extension that kicks in after this season, which to me signifies, as I believe to you as well, the Kings are confident in Cal Peterson as the new number one goaltender that will happen, I would imagine, sooner rather than later. Are you mm-hmm. confident in Cal Peterson as the true starter? And what is exactly the future between the pipes for LA once Jonathan Quick has enough and says, I'm out? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, if you probably asked me that, let's say maybe like in November, December, there was a lot of skepticism about whether Cal Peterson necessarily earned that new contract because of the way he was playing at the beginning of the year. He just didn't look sharp. I mean, Cal Peterson, he's a real kind of um, – you, you can just tell when he's on his game in the first couple minutes of the game. You, you just – he's a real – he likes the position. If he's in the right position and making those right so the good saves, then you know he's, he's going to have a good game. But, I mean – Last night's game, he had like a real bit bad flub of a turnover in the first 10 seconds, which led to a goal for the Calgary. But, I mean, as far as looking ahead to the future, I would I would expect Cal Peterson to take take the starters net and be the, the number one goaltender for L.A. for the next couple of years. I mean, he's shown the potential to be a starting goaltender in the NHL. So I don't think there's any real worry um, in L.A. in terms of that um, happening. But as once, I mean, once Jonathan Quick uh, leaves – I mean, he's got one more year on his deal. So next year, the Kings are going to have over ten million, close to ten, close to eleven million dollars, and tied up in goaltending alone. So they're, you're you're going to have to expect Jonathan Quick to have another role with the team next season, whether it be another fifty fifty split or whether he just kind of takes a back seat and takes more of a backup type uh, role, uh, where it's more of like a seventy five twenty five split. So after that, I mean, goaltending is kind of, I mean we talk about the Kings prospect pool and they're absolutely loaded across the board up front uh, at the forward position and on the defensive position. But I mean, goaltending, that's really an issue. I get a really a position that you can say that maybe they lack. Um, You have goaltenders, some prospects like Matt Vallalta in Ontario, Jacob Ingham, and then Lucas Parik, who's, who's actually shown a a lot of flash in the world juniors. But I mean, going forward, I would expect Vallalta to probably take the backup role eventually but I mean, who knows? We've seen the Kings go after some, maybe some more of like a backup type goaltender who might be available in the market. But I mean, right now you're you're looking at another year with Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson kind of splitting the share in the net for LA. Well, you mentioned that the Kings have not just one or two prospects. I mean, they have 
<laughs> by my by my calculations, they have seventy quadrillion prospects. That, that that's, they, that's a pretty accurate number. <laughs> that the that the Kings could either play down the road or use in trades to acquire players that they can use today and tomorrow. Do you think that maybe a, a couple of these prospects could be moved for a goaltender? Maybe not this, obviously not this season, but maybe next season, maybe during the summer. Maybe Jonathan Quick moves to a different team and they bring in somebody cheaper because that contract at 5.8 million was very team friendly not very team friendly now especially with the with the extension given to cal peterson what do you think about potentially moving prospects to get a goaltender or maybe is that a is that a long-term plan for not this coming summer but the summer after that yeah i don't see i don't see the kings making a move for a goaltender i just i I think they'd rather just ride the wave with what they got with Cal and Jonathan Quick. Um, in terms of just sh with the amount, yeah, like with the quadrillion billion prospects that they have, the number you had, uh, I think it's kind of been a big question about whether when the Kings are, are going to make that big move. I mean, I, I always like to compare the trajectory that the current Kings team is on to the trajectory they were on when they won their first cup two, uh, back in 2012. Um, just that offseason beforehand, they had made the move to bring in Mike Richards and shipped out Braden Shen and Wayne Simmons, who were good young players and developed to be good NHL players in the league. So we're still waiting for that big move to happen. In the offseason, they they made, I mean, Rob Blake made really good um, moves, bringing in Philip Deneau, who was a UFA, but then also bringing in Victor Arvidsson for really just, I mean, mid-round draft picks. They didn't really have to pay an expensive price to get him. So there's still some holes, I would say, up front. Maybe you're looking at bringing in uh, a legit, maybe goal scorer to help of uh, Kobitar. There's that's been uh, an extinct position or an extinct player on the Kings team for quite some time now. So maybe they eventually bring in that goal scorer to help out with their lowly five on five scoring. And then there's also uh, a question mark of maybe bringing in a player like Jacob Chikrin, who's who's been rumored to be to to the Kings uh, this last season or so. So maybe I mean I, it's really just kind of wait and see with Rob Blake because you're not you don't really have you with the abundance of prospects that the Kings have there's not a lot of room for them to play I mean you're not going to be able to play them all so eventually a move's going to have to be made um, and we'll just have to wait and see if that happens in the off season. Well, let me ask you this then. The Kings virtually did nothing at the deadline. They made a couple mm -hmm. of minor moves. They got a choice setcher for a seventh round pick, and that was it. That's all they did. Yeah. Do you feel like that was the right decision? And what kind of message does that send to the players on the roster right now, to the players on the roster in the future, to the young kids that are playing in Ontario right now, and to the fans watching in the seats? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, that message, it, it's not just to the players on the roster. It's also to the entire organization. Because if you looked at if you look at the team right now, they're just absolutely decimated by injuries. I mean, they've played games without any of the six starting defensive uh, defensive players from the opening night roster. So, I mean, for the for Rob Blake to not really make a lot of uh, a big splash at the deadline, that was kind of expected. I mean, if you look at if you look at other teams across the National Hockey League, they're I mean, you look at teams like Colorado, Florida, Carolina. I mean, the Kings aren't really even near the type of caliber that those teams are at right now. So, I mean, making a splash to bring in a rental piece like a Ben Sherrod or whoever was available, uh, it just didn't really make a lot of sense because, I mean, if the Kings make the playoffs, like like we all talk about, it's just a big surprise right now. So, I always say, like, Rob Blake is playing with house money. 
So just kind of ride the wave that they're in right now. And Stetcher, bringing in Troy Stetcher, that's just really more of a depth piece to, to help with the injuries until players like Matt Roy, uh, Drew Doughty, uh, Mikey Anderson can eventually make the return to the defensive, um, to the blue line for the Kings. But I mean, for them to not, for Rob Blake to not make that big splash, it wasn't really a big surprise for me. I, don't, I think a lot of Kings fans kind of expected the same. Talking to the great Russell Morgan of HockeyRealty.com and the Hockey Realty Podcast. Russ, your friend on the site, Joe Paterino, wrote an article about Todd McClellan deserving Jack Adams' consideration. From my East Coast perspective, I tend to agree that his name should be on the list, especially with the injuries that you mentioned. The, the fact that this team is still vying for the top spot in their division and is pretty close to one of the top spots in the Western Conference. I mean, you're not catching Colorado. No one's catching Colorado. This team is a, a whole nother beast in the regular season. At least we'll see come playoff time. But the, 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 the work that McClellan has done so far has been nothing short of spectacular. I think given the team's roster and the expectations set that Todd has done a really good job of leading the troops to success, Mike Sullivan, Daryl Sutter, and Bednar are my top three personally, but I think McClellan probably deserves to be in my top five somewhere. Where do you stand on Todd McClellan for the Jack Adams? I think this is, I think this is more of a like trying to figure out what the actual. I mean, award NHL awards are always so. It's always so weird. However, they want to award, award them, whatever. Like we talk about the heart. Heart trophy is that just a player whoever puts up the most amount of points or is that who's most valuable to his team i mean if we're just giving away points i mean you have to also look at the norse trophy that's that's always been kind of a, a a debate about how you're supposed to award that so i have that same debate with some of my colleagues about the jack adams because the way i look at it you should be awarding the jack adams to a coach who elevates his team to a point where they weren't expected to be and so when i look at coaches like jared bednar Everybody expected the Avalanche to be where they're at right now. You look at Mike Sullivan, you know I mean, or Steve Sullivan. You you have all these coaches who are kind of they have the players on the roster to help get them where they're at, and they are where they are. For Todd McClellan to take the Kings where they're at right now, it's it's not a surprise that it's it is the biggest surprise in the National Hockey League right now. I mean, to have the Kings be only a, a few points behind for the first place in the Pacific Division, I mean, that's just just crazy. I mean, you ask any Kings fan at the offseason if that would have happened. I mean, they would have just laughed. I mean, especially with look at the amount of injuries that this team has had to overcome throughout the season. I get a lot of Kings fans that that kind of argue with me that you can look at the power play and the penalty kill and the special teams as a whole as being a kind of a detriment to Todd McClellan's Jack Adams um, nomination, I guess. But I mean, if the, there's also the other side of the debate. Like, I mean, like, if you have, what if the team is really good at special teams, but is also low in the standings? I mean, so for them to be where they are right now, I think that's just a big, big con. I mean, there's a lot of contributions that Todd McClellan has made to the team and a lot of roster decisions that he's made that has really helped elevate this team to be where they're at right now. And I think he really deserves to be in the top three, if not win the Jack Adams in the offseason. Yeah, and I mean, listen, it's a very good point. And the, the reasons why I have Mike Sullivan and, and Sutter and Bednar ahead of him is because, listen, Mike Sullivan, year after year, every single season, he gets disrespected. He gets yeah. incredibly overlooked and disrespected. And I'm I'm in New York. Like, I'm not a I'm not a Penguins fan. So <laughs> so, you know. 
Mike Sullivan consistently has 17 injuries, is playing Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbit, and gets goaltending <laughs> from Tristan Jari, who can either stop every single shot or can stop none of the shots, and there's no in-between. So the fact that Mike Sullivan can get the Penguins to where they are every single year is nothing short of a miracle. And, and he's did it again this season. And... I think he deserves a lot of uh, a lot of credit here. Daryl Sutter, there's so many different ways that the Flames season could have could have gone up in flames. Thank you so much. I'll be here all week. But there you go. Yeah, but they haven't, and they've been dominant all season. M- Sean Monahan has, who has been pretty bad, let's be honest here, all season long, demoted the, to the fourth line. I had Eric Francis on last week. We talked about him and how he's he was a healthy scratch in one of the games, and now he's out for the rest of the season. I mean, Sean Monaghan has not been good. And yet, despite that, the Flames have been tremendous. And there's a lo- and a lot of it has to do with Gerald Sutter coming in, fixing the team, fixing the defensive aspect of their team and how they play. And Daryl Sutter has so much to do with the Flames' overall success that I think he deserves to be in the top three. And Jared Bednar, I mean, look, it's very easy to be like, okay, well, the Avs are just the best team. Jared Bednar is the best coach. But mm-hmm. I think if you look at, in the macro level here, Jared Bednar has done so many things that are noticeable during games that it's it's difficult to say otherwise because it's not just anybody coming in and being the coach and being like, okay, well, the team is good. My job here is done. This guy, the way that he coaches, the little tweaks that he does, and the little adjustments that he makes game in and game out is so impressive to me. And it's it's more of his coaching style and the way that he does his job to me makes him a, a, a Jack Adams candidate. Obviously, the abs are really good. They're they're incredible, and they've only gotten better after after, after the the, uh, the deadline here. But the way that he does his job and the way that he approaches day to day really stands out to me. I mean, this is when when you're coaching the best team in the NHL. It's it, again, it's easy to be like, okay, well, he wins a Jack Adams because they have the most points. But mm-hmm. it's not just that. It's because with the avalanche, there could very easily become too many cooks in the kitchen. It could very, it could very easily become we we have so many stars that nothing gets done. And yet Jared Bednar is there, and he's controlling the team, and the team is dominating a lot of it because of him. And Todd McClellan, as I said, is top five for me. But that's why I have those three there ahead of him. Yeah, and I th- I think that's a really good argument because I mean you. When you look at those coaches like Jared Bednar and Daryl Sutter, I mean, those coaches, a lot of the adjustments that they make are are really noticeable throughout the game, like you just talked about. So now when you see those like little tweaks that they make, you're like, okay, well, that's obviously a coach's decision. He's, I mean, look what Bednar has done to Nazem Kadri. He's almost turned him into an MVP type player this year. Um, Sutter with like decisions he's made, like you talked about with Sean Monaghan, it just kind of surprised everybody. But I mean, obviously I, I'm, I'm an, a king. I've, I've watched the Kings for years. So I, that's just not a surprise to me. You get Daryl, once Daryl Sutter gets his hands on a team, I mean, who doesn't matter who you are. If you're Johnny Goudreau, Matthew Kuchak, anybody, you're going to, have to play a, a certain type of game in order to get um, playing time. That's just who Daryl Sutter is as a coach. I mean, but I mean, when I think about who the best coach in the National Hockey League, I think it's Rod Brindamore. 
I just, yeah. I mean, I would love to have Rod Bendermore as my head coach. He, he's a total player coach, but he's, he's willing to fight for the players and he knows the game of hockey, obviously. So is he going to be, is he another, I think he won last year also as well, but is, is he going to win this again this year? I think he could be up for nomination, but there's just a lot of, a lot of coaches really that have made a really good impact on certain teams. And if it weren't for Daryl Sutter taking over beginning or halfway, whatever through the season and elevating the flames where they are, I think, um, and Jared Bednar helping out players like Kadri and getting the fabs where they are. I think McClellan would be up there in the top three, but it'll be interesting to see how the voters vote when we get to that point. Yeah. And I mean, again, for, for full transparency, I'm in New York. Uh, uh, I used to be as, as a professional media person, I can no longer say that I am a, a fan of one team, but I, I grew up being a, a Rangers fan. I, you could read between the lines if you choose. Uh, but, and, and, but saying that you didn't hear me say Gerard Gallant's name. It's not, you, you know, go. it's not like, I'm not trying to like, again, I'm mentioning Mike Sullivan here. And, and as a, as a fan of, of not the Penguins, and have and have watched Mike Sullivan coach for a long time. Mike Sullivan is a tremendous hockey coach. I mean, he is so good at what he does. And Rob Rob Brendamore as well. You can there's a lot of different names that you can put. I think between four and say seven. Rod Brendamore and and Tom McClellan and maybe Jar Jar if you want Andrew Burnett as well. Like there's there's a lot of different names that you could put up there. Uh, so there's it's going to be interesting to see who wins the Jack Adams because there's there's a lot of there's no I mean, there. I guess you could put a, a, a maybe one or two names that are above everybody else, but there's a lot of good candidates there for the Jack Adams this year. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good candidates for a lot of awards this year, and not just the Jack Adams. And I'm sure that we're going to see some debate in terms of the Norris Trophy, uh, the Calder Tro- Trophy is a big debate this year, the Hart Trophy. Uh, so uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, big arguments being made for which player wins what um, come award season. And it'll be fun, I guess, to watch. Well, the the Calder's already locked up. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be Panarin again. So we're, you know, that's oh, that's, yeah. that's already that's already locked up. He'll but, be uh, winning that award till he's thirty three. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's gonna win it every season. I mean, who else? Who else is the the Calder? Nobody, nobody comes close. But uh, but let's talk about Adrian Campe here for a second. He's having a massive season, massive career season. I might add, thirty one goals. He's got forty six points. Twenty five years old. Looking at Jay Fresh's analytics of Campe. It looks like his defense leaves a, a, a lot to be desired, especially this season. A lot of positives from Kempe, but there's also some red flags. As an outsider, from, from an outsider's point of view, just taking a look at the, the, the stats and, and things that I have in front of me here, because I don't watch every, every single second of Kings Hockey. That's why I brought you on to, to ask about, you know, about Adrian Kempe. What are your thoughts on him, and do you see him as a cornerstone for this Kings team long term? Yeah, Kempe is just having a tremendous season, and I, I expected him to have that real big jump this year in the offseason. I mean, if you look at a lot of the skill sets that he has, he has he's fast, he has a great shot, and he's he's got good size. So, I mean, that has that's all the makings to be a good top six uh, goal scorer and wing in the National Hockey League. Uh, if you when you look at his, his defensive metrics, I think a lot of the has to do with the matchups he's getting. I mean, when you're playing top line minutes with Kopitar. Um, you're going to be going against the other top uh, lines against the other teams. So, yeah, I get the I get the defense, defensive aspect for, but for a Kings team that's been stricken of uh, really um, a really good uh, goal scorer, uh, for Kempe to now be that thirty goal goal scorer um, 
for the Kings. That it's just been, I wouldn't say a surprise, but it's been a good thing to see. And it's been something that the Kings have desperately needed. Uh, so it coming this off season, it'll be interesting to see because he's an RFA with arbitration rights. So I'm sure that I'm sure Rob Blake will want to lock him up long term. I've been a big proponent of, of giving him like at least like a six year deal because I believe he's 24, 25. You don't want to be giving him a three, four year deal and then have him hit UFA status when he's 28, 29 years old. Then the Kings just probably wouldn't be able to afford him with the amount of young players that are coming up. So if the Kings are able to lock up Kempe for a long term deal around six years, maybe five mil per I think that's a good point or a good uh, grab for the Kings and a good, good piece to uh, help uh, build like around Kempe because he's someone, I mean, you look at the the core, the Stanley Cup core that's left uh, over from the Kings. You got, you got Kopitar, you got Dowdy, Dustin Brown, and Jonathan Quick. Uh, Brown and Quick are probably going to be, who knows if they're going to be with the Kings next season or the season after that. Kopitar is still with the Kings a couple more years, and Dowdy's still got like four or five more years left for the Kings. So you have this kind of middle core with LA uh, for players like Kempe, Ayafalo, Matt Roy, who are kind of starting to be those new wave of veterans to help out a lot of these young players. So for Kempe, I think it's somebody, a player that the Kings need to, to lock up long term. And I, I think he'll be, and he could continue to be a 25 plus goal scorer in the NHL and maybe even grow that defensive game even more. Real quick here, as an aside, uh, as a fan of a certain New York sports team uh, that wears red, white, and blue, uh, I have to ask you about Leah Sanderson. Now, real quick oh, here. here. We go. Here, real quick here, I want to get your thoughts on him and his game. It looks like he still hasn't picked up his offensive, uh, the offensive prowess that Rangers fans and King, and now Kings fans in the NHL thought he was going to have when he came over to the NHL. What have you seen out of Elias Anderson? I mean, he's still he's still young. He's still in his early twenties, so there's a lot of time left for Elias Anderson to become something he got drafted i believe it was seventh overall so there's a lot of expectations on him do you think those expectations are ever going to be met oh man leas anderson is such a, a puzzle it's it's strange to watch him play because he he's shown in his short time with la he's shown flashes of being a really good player in the national hockey league i mean there was at the beginning of the season he was on a line with Gabriel Lardy, another top Kings prospect, um, and Vladimir Kachev, a player they had brought over from the KHL who had been training with Kirill Kaprizov in the offseason. So there was, there was a lot of hype around that line. And during the preseason, they were uh, really kind of lighting it up for the Kings and probably the best line for L.A. leading up to the opening night. Unfortunately, I believe Leah Sanderson got hurt. Uh, could uh, Velarde just kind of didn't really find his game once uh, and then and actually it kind of impacted both of the other players that were playing on that line so once Leah Sanderson came back he kind of really went back to that type of game he was playing with New York where he just kind of wasn't really making that much of an impact so for then he got sent back down to the Ontario rain uh, I believe he was also fighting injuries off and on. And then once he was healthy, I mean, in an AHL, pe people out here were calling him the AHL Gretzky. He was just lighting it up uh, night in and night out, uh, doing in-between-the-leg goals, I mean, just doing whatever to put the puck in the net. And now that he's back up with the Kings, I mean, he's he's making an impact on certain games. He had a really, he had a, a nice shootout goal to help 
out with um, the win over Calgary in Calgary just a couple nights ago. And I was, I was joking with uh, my colleague and I was like, man, I, that, he made that second round pick that the Kings traded to get him just to absolutely worth it with that shootout goal alone. But to say that whoever live up to that seventh overall pick, I really just don't see it. I mean, if, if you ask me what his identity is or what type of game he brings, I just I couldn't really tell you. I just don't know. I mean, he has some tenacity to his game. He has a little bit of grit, but it just really – it's not consistent, I guess. So it's kind of unfortunate because in, when the Kings traded a second-round pick to get him, I mean, yeah, they were kind of – you look at what they're getting. I mean, you're getting a seventh overall pick. So, yeah, you can sell that to the fans that you're kind of buying low on this player to see what you can get out of him. But right now, if you asked a lot of the fans in L.A., they're just kind of saying you, you wouldn't really expect him to be on the team long term or be a part of the team in the future. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. But right now, I know I believe he's an RFA in the offseason. So I don't see them bringing him back um, in the next year, probably, or maybe to be on the team in the future. Quentin Byfield, Arthur Kaliev, Sean Dursey, Blake Lazat, and also former silver medal haver, uh, Leah Sanderson. Uh, the list goes on. <laughs> Ton of young guys on this Kings team right now. Maybe Leah Sanderson is not part of the future. We'll see. What have you seen out of them, and how bright is the future of the LA Kings? Yeah, it's 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 pretty bright. You need some some sunglasses to put on because <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's looking pretty good. And I think a lot of it. Uh, what is so exciting right now is you're starting to see that future core make an impact with the team now. And of course, injuries have kind of forced the team's hand or management's hand in terms of playing these young stars. Cause I mean, right now you look at the third line that the Kings are icing there. You got all three first round picks. You have Rasmus Kapari, uh, who was a first round pick, I believe in 2017, you have Gabe Velarde on the right side, who was a first round pick in 2018. And you know, of course you have Quentin Byfield, who's the second overall pick in 2020. And that's just, uh, three of the many first rounders or high end caliber caliber prospects that the Kings have that are making an impact. You look at other players like Arthur Kaliev, who has just one of the most elite shot, if not one of the best shots in the National Hockey League right now. I mean, you, I put him up there with Austin Matthews level type of wrister. It's just pretty ridiculous to see what he's able to do. Um, but and then also you have to look at the blue line because that's we're that's probably the best uh, group of prospects that the Kings have or the best group that the Kings have had in terms of future. Um, you have players like Sean Dursey, who's a rookie who wasn't really expected to make a big impact with the Kings this season, who's been playing a vital role and who's kind of building this culture that a lot of the fans can get behind with the team. Um, you also have players like Jordan Spence, who was last year just playing the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So, I mean, I think it was a funny quote actually last night after the game of the 3 2 loss to Calgary. Todd McClellan had mentioned about how the the experience that those type of players are getting right now is really invaluable to their future in their national hockey league. Cause he even, he, one of the quotes that he had was, is you're not going to find that type of game in the H and the American hockey league. I don't care what anybody else says. So to have those players getting their feet wet in the NHL and getting their cup of coffee with the team right now is really good for the team and the future experience uh, for the Kings. And it bodes well for, them to be the, uh, live up to the potential that they have because 
you have other players like Brock Faber, who's who's part of the Frozen Four team in University of Minnesota. Hugo Grounds is a 19 year old making a good impact in the Ontario Hockey uh, and the American Hockey League. So there's a lot to like for the Kings' future, and I would expect if they make the playoffs, maybe they uh, start a nice little streak and uh, become a a contender sooner rather than later. Well, Russ, are the LA Kings a legitimate Stanley Cup contender in 2022? I don't believe so. I think it's just no one really expected. I mean, yeah, no one, no one expected to be where they are even just even make a playoff spot. And you look at some of the projections of some of the uh, high end analytic guys like Dom Luchizan, who never, I believe he projected the Kings to be an 80 point team this season. Jay Fress, who also projected them to be one outside of the playoffs. So the fact that they're even making the playoffs, I think a lot of fans are just kind of happy to see them get there and just be a possible playoff team this season. Because, I mean, like we talked about with the deadline, the Rob Blake management kind of showed their hand. They're, they're not expecting the team to make a big kind of uh, a long run in the playoffs. But I, th- I think fans also are okay with that. If, if the Kings, let's say they, they make the playoffs and they lose a six, seven game series to the Edmonton Oilers, I think fans would be okay with that because there's a lot to look forward to. And a lot of the future um, for to get playoff experience for those players like Quentin Byfield and Arthur Kaliev and and Sean Dursey to have them get that experience I think that's probably a bigger win than anything that Kings could have hoped for this season Russell you're outstanding love having you on to talk some LA hockey with me can you do me a favor and come back on real soon absolutely anytime you want to have me I'm always uh always a good time talking Kings hockey or just hockey in general so yeah whenever Hell yeah, appreciate it. And you are at NHL Russell on Twitter. If you're not following Russ on there, you doing? You doing? Because he's got great content on there, and you're missing out on some really good stuff if you're if you're not following him on there. He's also one of the hosts on Hockey Royalty Podcast, and you can read him over at HockeyRoyalty.com. Great content. I mean, honestly, like if if you're not following, if you're not subscribed to the website, you're just missing out on some really really good hockey content. Even if you're not a Kings fan. It's still very good and interesting information for you to read and listen to. I recommend it 100% of the time. As for me, at Chell Squared and at Chelney Andrew, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew, on Twitter, at Chell Squared on Facebook. Once again, the show deserves and needs, if you are willing to give it to me, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's shiny, illustrious. Those two words, synonymous with those Apple reviews, are very important because the algorithm tends to love them. I don't know why. Nobody knows why. The algorithm just does whatever whatever it wants to on any given day. But they, they love the reviews and they mean a lot to me. So if you could give me one of those on a podcast, it would mean a lot. I'm your host, Andrew Chelney. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday.